Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We'll be looking at the first 10 verses. If you're visiting Christ Church this morning, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here, and we're glad you're with us this morning. Uh, as you open your Bibles and, and you generously give uh, to promote kingdom work throughout the world, we're grateful. Uh, today, we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with a man who took advantage of the power he had. And he took advantage of it in such a way that it hurt people. Last week, we had a moment, if you were with us, where James and John, the disciples of Jesus, and their mother came to Jesus asking if they could have authority and power and they could be great in his kingdom. And Jesus taught us that being great in his kingdom is actually to be humbled. It's to accept what Jesus offers you in his wisdom and trust in him for that strength. Well, this week we have a similar situation when it deals with power, but we're going to be talking about someone who already has power, who already has authority and who already has influence and how they misused it. And what impact that has. Because if we understand how Jesus deals with an intentional advantage taker versus a person who doesn't take advantage of others, or if they do so, it's by accident, we're going to learn a lot about grace. Does grace apply to the person who takes advantage of another person because of the power they have available to them? Let's go ahead and begin in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that was lost. So here's what we have. We are about three sermons away from the final week of Jesus' life, the triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem for the Passover. That makes sense because what's happening is in the town of Jericho, people are heading from their hometowns to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. They would go a week ahead in advance and they would camp outside the city and and find a place to stay and they would do this. And it was required of every Jew. It was expected that once in your lifetime, you would go back to the great city for the Passover. If you lived in the area, you were expected to go regularly. And so what you have here is, let's call it for the sake of simplicity this morning, you'd have a parade of people over the last week to 10 days that would be going by Jericho. And people would gather out in their spare time and they would watch this parade go by. And one day they heard... That Jesus, the miracle worker, the healer, the great teacher, would be heading this direction. And so people began to gather by the sides of the road to cheer them on, to congratulate them, to see who they were, and most of all, to see Jesus. And this is the moment we catch this particular story. It's a story that I've heard since I was a little kid. I, the first Sunday of my life, I was in the nursery at our church. So I've heard this story a thousand times in my life because we all know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask someone over 30 and they'll tell you or sing you the song maybe even or not. Okay, so 
The crowd's gathering, and there is a tax collector named Zacchaeus who shows up in the crowd. And Luke tells us the story of this moment. But before, I used to ask the question, why Zacchaeus' story in the Bible? And now I understand it a little more deeply because it actually is very parallel to my story. And I believe if you pay attention to the details of the story, you're going to see that Luke told us the story because it's almost everyone's story. At least it's everyone's story who becomes a follower of Jesus. So we have this moment, Zacchaeus is there, and Zacchaeus is going to have an encounter with Jesus. And for this encounter to take place, there are four things I see in the text that have to happen. And they have to happen for you and me too, so let's walk through them. The first is you will have to sacrifice your self-dignity. If you truly want to be a disciple of Jesus, you are going to have to get over the image you want of yourself, the image that you want people to believe in. And sometimes you're going to have to do some embarrassing things to put yourself in a position to receive what Jesus wants to offer you. You see, the biggest barrier between us actually following Jesus and just being aware of him is our own pride. It's our own sense of self, who we want to be, how we want to be perceived, and what others think of us. Zacchaeus shows up that day, and let's just imagine, he doesn't think that Jesus knows who he is, does he? No. He doesn't think that Jesus is going to stop and, and care about him. And he doesn't believe that Jesus is going to become connected into his life. He's just going to the parade to watch Jesus walk by. He wants to, according to Luke, he wants to see Jesus for himself because he's heard things about him. And if if you're paying attention, the large majority of us in this room, that's our story. We come to church because we want to see Jesus walk by. We want to hear stories about how awesome he is. We want to hear about what he's done. But we don't think he knows our name. We don't think he cares about us personally. And we don't think that he's really interactive in our lives because of the choices we've made. We just go to the parade every week and watch Jesus walk right by. And so here you have Zacchaeus in this moment. It's epidemic. He's cheering Jesus on, but he has no relationship with Jesus of his own. He's just a bystander. And it says, now, the details when I was a kid made for a great song. Well, an average song. But the details were lost on me. He is a tiny man. We don't know how tall he was. But in my research, they said that the average Jewish man at that time would have been somewhere between 5'6 and 5'8. That would have been an average sized man. So if he's considered small in their culture, was he 5'1", 5'2"? He would have been someone that even today we would look at and say, there's nothing wrong with him. He's just small. So people are gathered by the road where everyone would parade all the way from Egypt to Jerusalem. They would go right by the town of Jericho. And so they would watch these dignitaries go by and groups of people. And they would notice that. Well, the crowd's thick that day and Zacchaeus can't see. Now, if you and I were at a parade, let's say we're at a parade in Joplin and we're standing on the side of the road, and we got there first, and we're, everyone has to be on the curb, right? And we're standing with our toes right on the curb. We've got our spot. And the family comes in, and they got a bunch of little kids. You'd have to have no soul not to move back six inches to let a kid stand in front of you. Why? Because it doesn't block your view at all. You just move back. You let a kid go right there. Everyone can see. If he takes your candy, you negotiate that later. I mean, come on. We're talking real life here. But you let a kid go ahead of you. Zacchaeus can't get to the front. He can't see over the crowd. He's not going to be able to see Jesus. And nobody will let him go up front. Well, why won't they let him go up front? Because he's a tax collector. Let me explain this. Tax collectors were Jewish people that worked for Rome. 
Rome would say to the tax collectors, I'm going to just make a number up, you're going to get $1,500 from every single person in this room. And you're going to count the number of people and you're going to bring me that $1,500 per person. Do you understand? The tax collector said yes. Tax collector would come to you and say, you give me $3,000 right now. You didn't know how much the Romans expected. You just knew that the tax collector was making his living off the excess he took off of you. And could you run to Rome and complain about how you were being mistreated? Absolutely not. They didn't care as long as they got what? Their $1,500. So you have a system that is ripe for people getting ripped off. And the Jews not only couldn't stand the Romans, they couldn't stand one of their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters stealing from them to make a living at the expense of this cruel government. Now let me ask you the question again. Why can't Zacchaeus see? Because no one's letting that little guy up front. He walks up and says, could you move over so I could see? And they're like, drop dead, get away. He's not even going to ask. He's an outcast. He is the ultimate outsider. He's rich, though. Some of us will trade that. He, he gained it improperly. Some of us will accept that. And so you have Zacchaeus, the ultimate outsider, trying to see, and he can't see because he has no friends. They're not going to let him in, and he climbs up a tree. Commentators that I read said that he had to lose his dignity to climb up a tree because the reason he's in the tree is he has no friends. He's got a small stature, and no one's there to help him. So he gets rid of his dignity to climb in the tree because Luke says he wants to see Jesus for himself. And I'm going to tell you today, you can see the comparison. If you really want to see Jesus, you're going to have to do some undignified things. The world is not going to look at your efforts and give you applause. They're not going to say, oh, I get it. In fact, most people who see those that really walk by faith, they don't get it. Not because they're stupid, but because they're too worried about how they appear. They're too worried about their own self-dignity and their own status and culture. And so we're so worried about what people will think of us that we don't actually realize they don't think of us. The people we're most worried about what they think of us probably don't spend 30 seconds a day thinking of us. But the one who thinks of us from the moment we were knit in our mother's womb never stops thinking about us, will stop and say, well, yeah, he loves me. But these people matter. So he climbs up in the tree. It's undignified. The world looks at you. Our culture looks at you and I and said, really? You believe that the God of the universe became an embryo? You really believe that? You really believe that he was, in, he was somehow miraculously placed in a virgin? A real girl named Mary gave birth to him in a stable and that he was all God, all man all the time? was killed on a cross, was raised from the dead, is coming back another day. And the world looking at you and I, and I'm asking you a serious question. Do you really believe that's true? Because a lot of people like the parade, but they have no investment in its reality. They'll never get in the parade and go the same destination, the same direction. But he gave up his dignity to climb into a tree to figure out who this Jesus was. And I believe if you and I are going to figure out who this Jesus is, we need to listen to the words of Jesus. I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. To believe what the scriptures show to be true is going to take a childlike faith and it's going to cause some people to think you're very childish. That you're believing in a fable, you're just trying to survive life, it's hard enough, so you're going to believe in this mythology so that it helps you get through the day. The second thing we see here is that you're going to have to reject public status. And that may sound very similar to the previous point about your dignity, but public status is a little bit different here. Let me explain verse 7. 
So Jesus walks to the tree and he calls Zacchaeus by name. And he says, I'm going to your house. And Zacchaeus is like, sweet, let's go. Verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And we've just discovered why this story is in the scripture. Because the crowd thought, oh, if Jesus knew what kind of man he was, he wouldn't go with him. He would go with the rich in town. He would go with the famous in town. He would go with the powerful in town. He would go with the priests and the, and the, the rulers of the local synagogue. He would go with the, the, the greats. He wouldn't spend his time with that guy. That guy's an idiot. That guy rips off his own people. That guy's corrupt. That guy's in bed with the Romans. And now we understand why the story's told. Because Zacchaeus came down from the tree, and the first words out of his mouth were, Lord. He knew who he was. You see, when you see Jesus for who he is, you'll understand really quickly who you are, unless you want to fool yourself into thinking you're something different. Jesus never says a word to him, like, get out here, sinner. But the crowd says, how can Jesus go with the sinner? And I'm here to tell you, that's the only persons he can go with. Because he won't go with those that are self-righteous. You see, Zacchaeus thought, he doesn't know my name. He doesn't care about me. We'll never have anything between us. And Jesus walks up to the tree and he said, hey, Zacchaeus, never met him before. He says, hey, come down. I'm going to your house. He cares about me and he's going to become a part of what I do. And this is what the world doesn't understand about the Jesus we've kept secret. We need to get people to stop watching the parade and start getting in the destination the parade's taking us. And so you have this moment. You see, the problem is the reason they call him a sinner is because people that don't know who Jesus is, they think that we're claiming that sin has no influence on us. And that's not what I'm claiming. I don't know what you are, but I'm not claiming that. I'm claiming sin has no power over me. But I'm not going to lie, it still has influence. And I don't like that. And the influence it has is because I let it. But it has no power over me. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the death of Jesus Christ and the promise of the resurrection, there is nothing sin can offer me that's of any value to what I already have in Jesus. But we have presented through the church in some strange way into culture that we Christians, that sin doesn't even, doesn't even tempt us. I don't know who you are. It does me. And that's why they said he's going with the sinner. And they said, this guy's not even trying. And Jesus that's the only one I can go to are the ones who receive me. You see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said some powerful things. This is the first sermon, the big public message that he probably preached, uh, preached repeatedly wherever he went. And it was this. You know, the religious, the righteous, self-righteous people live like this, but we live like this. The self-righteous people pray like this, but we pray like this. The self-righteous people give like this, but we give like this. The self-righteous seek for justice that defends their honor. We turn the other cheek and receive everything to show mercy. Jesus was flipping the script. So when they actually said, he goes to eat with the sinner, Jesus is like, yeah, that's why I'm here. I came to seek and save that which was lost. Following Jesus will cost us our dignity and it will cost us our place. Thirdly, you'll have to make room in your private world. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I'm told in the original language in verse 5 that the concept of must stay at your house actually means he stayed a period of time. It wasn't just... Let me explain it this way. When I was a kid growing up in junior church, I heard this story, I bet, 50 times in my life, and I'm grateful for it. 
But I don't know why. I'm 53 years old. I'm a Bible college graduate, and I've studied Scripture for the past 30-some years at a privilege of being a pastor. I've studied Scripture, and I still can't get it out of my head. As a little kid, I decided Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, and they had graham crackers and milk. I still think that's true. You can't prove it's not. But then I read the text, and it actually, you know, they didn't go just have a snack. That's what I would have thought. If Jesus came to my house, we'd get graham crackers, we'd get icing, we'd put it between the graham crackers, we would eat what kids eat. But it said, no, Jesus actually stayed there. And he probably and possibly stayed there more than a day. And here's what's important for you and I as Americans to understand that we would not if we don't pay attention to the culture of Jesus' day. To have a meal with someone was to associate with them personally. It wasn't just to eat. We get together to eat because we're hungry. They got together to eat to create community. So for Jesus to go spend time eating graham crackers with Zacchaeus was a public statement and it happened in Zacchaeus's house. And that was huge. Remember the number one criticism of Jesus throughout the Gospels is who he ate with. Prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners. But what's funny is, whenever Jesus had an interaction with someone who knew they were a sinner, he is always gentle and kind, even though he told the truth. When Jesus had a confrontation or a moment with a self-righteous person, he went off. So if you wonder, does he know your name? Does he care about you? And he can he become a part of your life? I remind you, how did he treat Zacchaeus, who was a sinner? He knew his name, he cared about him, and he engaged him. And so you have this beautiful power. And if we pay attention, we're going to see the order of grace. I've mucked it up the first two times. Let me try it a third time, see if I can get it right. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus doesn't walk up to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus flops out of the tree and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, get down here. And Zacchaeus falls out of the tree and he waddles over to him and he stands before Jesus and he says, hey, listen, you know what? I've lived a really bad life and I know you know I've lived a really bad life and I've ripped people off and I've taken advantage of my own family members and everything else and, and I'm just gonna do all these good things, all these good things. And then Jesus went, hmm, I'll come to your house. Do you notice that grace reverses that whole thing? Before Zacchaeus can offer one fix, Before Zacchaeus can offer one correction, Jesus is like, dude, your house, let's go. Here's the order of grace. The grace of Jesus joins us before it ever changes us. And if we reverse that, we mess it up. That the grace of Jesus joins us before it ever changes us. Jesus was going to his house before he offered to change a single thing because Jesus knows this. When you know who I am and how much I love you, you will see the change begin to happen. If you're trying to get my attention and earn my respect, you'll never let grace do its work. So for everybody in this room, whether you're a believer or someone just seeking this out, please understand what we're learning here. We're learning a valuable lesson one for which I'm grateful Luke recorded it in his record of Jesus' life, that if you go to Jesus negotiating your place with him, you don't know who he is. You already have a place with him. Receive it. Receive his mercy. Receive his goodness. Receive his kindness. You don't have to earn it. You can't. Because religion says, I can do enough that God will give me another chance. Christianity says, there is no other chance without Jesus. He's your other chance. And when Jesus joins us, his grace is there and change happens. And then Zacchaeus, realizing that Jesus is going to come to his house, what does Zacchaeus do? He loses his mind. You think he's undignified to climb a tree? He jumps down, he says, Jesus, I've, 
I don't feel good about who I've been. I'm going to give away one. He's wealthy. I'm going to give away one half of what I have. Did Jesus ask for that? No. Where did this come from? When we understand grace, our behavior will change. Because the love of Jesus is what changes us. And he said, I'm going to give away half. And then he does this amazing thing. He says, and if I've cheated anybody, that's funny, if. Come on. You're in the government. If. He says, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times. Interesting. Flashback to the Old Testament. David. Takes a woman who's not his wife and gets her pregnant. Has her husband killed to cover his tracks. The prophet comes into his presence, and the prophet says to David, David, King David, I have to tell you a story. There's a man who had a bunch of sheep, and there was one man who had one lamb he loved very well. But the man who had all these sheep became jealous of his one lamb and took his one lamb from him and took it and had that man killed. And David became indignant, and he cried out, and he said, that man will pay back four times what he's done. And the, and the prophet looked at David and said, you're that guy. You took his wife with all you had. He'll pay back four times. What does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus knows the scriptures. He knows when you've you've done a wrong that there is a price to be paid. And he just simply says to Jesus without Jesus asking a word, he simply says, hey, if you're in my house, let's get into all of it. Let's get into my business. Let's get into my soul. Let's get into my mind. Let's get into all of it. And he invites Jesus into his journey. He doesn't just sit in the tree and watch Jesus go by. He gets into the parade heading the same direction. And before he gives a simple dime away, Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. Why? Because he did the right things? No, because Jesus was at his house. If you pay attention to what takes place, we learn a wonderful moment of timing. Jesus appears at his house, and all of a sudden, his heart changes, his mind changes, and his allegiance changes. And Jesus said, this is the evidence that salvation has come. He doesn't say salvation is here because you decided to be generous. He said, you're deciding to be generous is what proves salvation happened. Did you notice that? Oh, I can, I can ride this pony around the room all day, church. You better start talking back. Or I, I got no plans today, I'll be honest with you. You see, if we miss it, we're going to think that we have to do something noble for Jesus to bring salvation to us. And I want you to know he brought salvation to us so that we could do noble things in our everyday life. Salvation first, then change. Surrender first, then life. And see, the beautiful part is this ultimate outsider who couldn't even weasel his way to the front of the line to see over the crowd now becomes an insider. And the ultimate insider named Jesus, to make that happen, had to become the outsider. Zacchaeus came down from a tree And for that to happen, Jesus had to go up into a tree. Zacchaeus came down from the tree as a sinner. Jesus came down from heaven as a sinless substitute. Zacchaeus gave away one half of what he had as a guilt offering. Jesus gave away everything he had so he could be our guilt offering. Church, are you tracking what's going on here? Zacchaeus is the anti-Jesus, and Jesus is amazing. And what he does here is salvation and grace depicted. It's a powerful story. Makes me want to lose my dignity. Makes me not care so much about what other people think. And lastly, it makes me want to not leave Jesus in a one day a week world. And instead, I want to have him in every piece of me so I can change to please him and to love him and to serve him. 
Because fourth, you have to surrender your power willingly. It requires that we give up these things that make us safe, like our money and our time and our place, our status, whatever the case is. You can't know Jesus a little bit. You have to surrender. You see, Jesus didn't come to make you nice. He came to make you new. He didn't come to produce better men. He came to produce a new kind of mankind. I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, salvation is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but it's like turning a horse into a winged creature. I love it. How many of you want to be Pegasus today? I do. I can't jump at all. I need wings. And Lewis says, when Jesus comes, he doesn't just teach us to be better moral creatures. He teaches us to be better human beings who serve a king who changes all lives. You see, Jesus didn't come to that parade for just Zacchaeus. He came for everybody in that parade. But one man displayed enough faith that Jesus would say, salvation has come to your house. This is a child of Abraham. What does that mean? It means he's a person of faith. He's a person who's willing to change his direction. He's a person who's willing to do what needs to be done. In John chapter 1, verse 12, John says these words about Jesus. As many as received him and believed on his name, he gave power to become children of God. To anyone who chooses to climb that tree, to see who he is, believe in him, and receive what he's offering, grace comes so that salvation may reign and change occurs afterwards. It's not what you don't know about Jesus that matters. It's what you do know. His goodness, his kindness, the timing of his mercy and grace and his plan for all of us. So I want to ask you this morning to engage your head, your heart, and your hands. I want you to see what Luke recorded for us and realize what it's telling us. For your head... I'd encourage you, especially as a new year begins, and we have all these moments where it's like, if I'm going to make a change, now's a good time to try. I want to ask you to engage your head. Spend some time singing and acknowledging in Scripture who God is, what Jesus has done, and what promises are available to you. Don't just read the Bible to say you read the Bible, but open the Word of God and have some sacred space in your life where you stop and realize this is telling me who God is and and this passage is telling me what Jesus wants to offer me, that he does know my name, that he does care about me, and he does want to be involved in my life. Understand the power of the Holy Spirit to take the influence of sin away from us and its power make it neutral and allow us to then choose what kind of people we choose to be because of what we receive from Jesus. For your heart... After you've allowed your mind to understand what the scriptures are teaching you about God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I ask you to spend some time realizing that's for you. It's not just a truth that fits everybody. It's a truth that fits me. He does know my name. He does call each of us by name. He cares for us desperately, and he wants to be in our everyday lives. And then hands. I know I'm stretching this one a little bit. I'll call it first, but I like it anyway. Let the love of Jesus become the love you show. How do you do that? How about some of us move away from the curb and let somebody come see Jesus and we invite them to have that better spot? How about we not worry about whether we're taken care of and how about we look to say, how do we take care of those who don't know the Jesus I know? 
How do we invite them? How do we invite them into our home? How do we begin conversations? How do we love people like Jesus loved us? Because when someone knows they need Jesus, he is gentle and kind, and he offers them a relationship that changes eternity. You see, there is no dignity in Christianity. There's only the mercy of Jesus on people who need mercy. Around this table or four, or around this room are four tables with lamps lit, and our elders and some of our staff will be at those tables to meet with you. And the challenge this morning is crystal clear. There's just, it's, this is it. If you've watched a parade walk by for way too long, and you're beginning to appreciate that Jesus is significant, that he matters, but you don't know how much he matters to you personally, that you've never really put yourself out there to be known by name and to be loved well. And you've never followed him where he's going because he's going to the cross to die for us. And you've never made that choice. I'm going to ask you today, what are you waiting for? He is who he said he was. And he will do everything he ever promised to do. You and I only have to receive that and trust it. Is today the day you trust? Because I know in this room there are people who have waited year after year watching the parade going, one day, one day, today's that day. And you go to one of these tables... And you'll be met there by an elder, one of our staff, and just have a conversation about what I need to do to become a follower of Jesus. I promise you, we won't make you do anything. We're going to just tell you why we did and why we follow Jesus. And we're going to sing a song. Since I'm talking about a story I've heard since I was a tot, we're going to sing a song that's been sung for generations. And it's a song that says, I surrender all. That's that's all we get to do today. And if you can't surrender all, then don't surrender anything. But if today's the day you surrender all, then sing with us. Testify in this room that Jesus Christ is worthy of trusting. That salvation first and then the change. But oh, what a change it will bring if you trust him. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.